You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast, my name is Kyle Dabra. So in this episode, we're going to go over four topics, and the first one being the Monday night matchup that we had featuring the Eagles and the Cowboys. Uh, the Cowboys won in a dominant fashion against the Eagles. They won by the score of 41 to 21. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but great performance from the Cowboys tonight. Uh, after that, we'll talk about the week three power rankings. So very similar to the first two editions that we've done so far. Just going to go over the top 10 teams in the NFL going into week four based on the week three performances. After that, we'll talk about Josh Gordon signing with the Chiefs. So Josh Gordon was reinstated by the NFL this past weekend. And he's already signed with the Chiefs. We'll talk about that signing and what his impact will be as he takes his talents to Kansas City. And then we'll round out the episode talking about Michael Porter Jr. He signed a five-year, $207 million contract extension with the Denver Nuggets. Looks like they're really kind of building this roster around Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, and now Michael Porter Jr. as well. So it's a huge signing for them, and we'll talk about that at the end of the episode. But like I said at the top, I'm going to dive into this Eagles and Cowboys game. The Cowboys dominated the Eagles on Monday Night Football, winning that game 41-21. to I mean, with the win, the Cowboys improved to 2-1 in the season, and Philly drops to 1-2 after the loss. So the main takeaways from this game was that Dak Prescott looked great against the Eagles. He was efficient. He completed 21 of his 26 passes. He threw for 238 yards, and he had three passing touchdowns. Dallas also got great production from their run game against the Eagles. They had over 150 yards rushing. And Ezekiel Elliott was really the one leading the way for the most part. He had almost 100 yards on the ground, and he had two rushing touchdowns. They also got good production from Tony Pollard as well. And as far as the receiving goes, usually we talk about maybe C.D. Lamb or Amari Cooper as the feature targets for Dallas. But it was tight end Dalton Schultz. This man could not be stopped. He had six catches for 85 yards and had two touchdowns to go with it as well. And it really just rounds out an impressive offensive performance from Dallas in this game. And then to flip it to the defensive side of the ball for Dallas, Dallas made Jalen Hurts and Philly's offense uncomfortable the entire night. They were able to force two interceptions from Jalen, and one of them was returned for a touchdown by Trevon Diggs. It was a pick six early in the second half that essentially blew the game wide open for Dallas. 
Not only that, they were able to sack Jalen Hurts four times, and they held Philly's offense to 21 points altogether. So Dallas just had a well-rounded performance from all aspects of their team against the Eagles on this Monday night matchup. There weren't too many mistakes that I could really point out from Dallas whatsoever. And kind of the focus on Dallas a little bit more here. I think one of the things that Dallas can build on from this win is that offensively, they have the pieces to be one of the most high caliber offenses in the NFL. Dak looks better than ever. And this is despite him coming off of a gruesome leg injury from last season. He's getting time in the pocket. He's extending plays with his feet and he's executing at a high level. Zeke probably had his best game of the season so far. And that one-two punch with him and Tony Pollard, that just seems like a tough matchup for opposing defenses as the season progresses. And then to talk about the defense, defensively, this team looks stronger than it has in years past. They've given up only 38 points in the last two games combined. This was after they gave up 31 points in the week one matchup against Tampa. They were able to force some turnovers, and they have been able to force turnovers on a consistent basis so far within the first three weeks of the season. And if their pass rush continues their success from the Eagles game, this defense can make things happen for Dallas. I'm not saying that they're going to be like a top five, top 10 defense, but they could be a middle of the road defense as long as they're able to force pressure against opposing quarterbacks and if they could turn the ball over. If they could do that, this will be a solid defense moving forward. So after this performance, I mean, the Cowboys are looking like the best team in the NFC East. They're currently at 2-1. They're at the top of the division, and they've earned it so far. Offensively, they look great. Defensively, they've been opportunistic. And if they continue these performances, this could be a pretty good team in the NFC moving forward. They do have their work cut out next week. They go up against the Carolina Panthers, who are currently 3-0 and and in first place in the NFC South. So that'll definitely be a fun game to watch. That game will be played in Dallas. So I imagine uh, Dallas's fans will be pretty hyped for that matchup. But I got to talk about the Eagles here. Obviously, this was just an abysmal performance from them across the board. Defensively, they gave up 40 points. Jalen Hurts was inconsistent. And I thought the play calling for the Eagles offense in this game was atrocious. The Eagles ran the ball 11 times. And eight out of those 11 times, it was because Jalen Hurts was scrambling out of the pocket. So I'm pretty much convinced at this point that the eye formation is just a foreign concept in Philly's playbook because the overwhelming majority of the plays that they ran were in the shotgun formation. I mean, the run game was non-existent from beginning to end. And it allowed Dallas's defense to peel their ears back because the Eagles were so one-dimensional offensively. I understand that they're catering to Jalen's strength as a quarterback, but the consequences of catering his strengths is that it leaves their offense as a predictable one. It was a tough night for the Eagles offense. They really couldn't get much consistently, whether it was through the air or on the ground, but it was even a tougher night for Philly's defense. I'm going to be honest with you. Philly's defense got punked in pretty much every aspect possible. It didn't matter whether they were in zone or man coverage. Dak carved up their secondary. The defensive line had no control of the line of scrimmage whatsoever. And they allowed Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard to set the tone in the run game for Dallas all night. They were just overmatched from beginning to end. 
And the film session from this game with Philly is going to be brutal to watch. This is one of those games where you might have to watch it and then burn the tape right after. Giving up 41 points on the road to a team like Dallas, which is one of your biggest foes in your division, that's going to be a tough pill to swallow from that one. So Philly's going to have to take it to the drawing board. Hopefully they find something to work with, and they got to find it quick because they play the Chiefs in Week 4, and the Chiefs are looking to bounce back in a major way after losing two straight the last two weeks. And then they play the Panthers right after that, who are currently 3-0. and And at the top of the NFC South, they play them in Week 5. So the road is going to look bumpy for Philly going into October. Hopefully they're able to figure some things out. But my main takeaways from this game is that the Cowboys look legit. They're definitely playing up to snuff. And the road is going to look bumpy for Philly moving forward. So that's pretty much my main takeaways from this Monday night matchup. Good game, but Dallas definitely looks like uh, the better team here moving forward. So to transition into our next segment, we're going to talk about our power rankings. It's going to be very simple, like the first two editions that we did. I'm just going to go over the top 10 teams as I currently see it in the NFL based off the week three performances. So I'm going to start at number 10. This might come as a surprise just because of where I had them ranked last week. I had the Chiefs at number 10. So last week I had them at number four, and they take a huge dive in my power rankings simply because this team has lost two straight games that they should have won. And when I look at the issues that are facing this team currently, it's primarily turnovers and the defense. The defense has given up 95 points in the first three weeks of the season. That is atrocious. And despite how good this offense can be, it is going to be very difficult for this team to win games if the defense is giving up 30 points in the process every game. And not only has the defense played bad, I have to be honest here. Patrick Mahomes has looked shaky the last couple weeks. He's been a turnover machine the last two games, and he's throwing interceptions consistently. And this is despite the fact that before this season, Patrick Mahomes had never thrown an interception in the month of September. And he has been turning the ball over much more consistently than I ever expected him to. And not only is he turning the ball over, but they're having fumble issues. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had another fumble in week three, and this was after he had a week two fumble against the Ravens where they were marching down the field and they could have won the game. So I think the Chiefs will be able to bounce back. They they are playing the Eagles, and I think that is definitely a game that they should be able to turn it around in. But this is a precipitous drop from where they were in my week two power rankings, and I think it's deserved. But I do think that this team is one of the better teams in the AFC and the NFL as well. They just got to find a way to get these turnover issues corrected. And if the defense can slow down opposing offenses, I think they'll be fine. But I have them at number 10. So at number 9, I have the Cleveland Browns. This is the first time that I've had them in my power rankings. And it's well-deserved. They played a phenomenal game against the Chicago Bears this past week. I got to say, this was a huge game from Cleveland's defense. They were sensational against the Bears. They had 9 total sacks. Four and a half from Miles Garrett alone. You know, when you can get that type of pressure against any sort of team where you're getting nine sacks as a defense, there's a very good chance that you're probably going to win that game. It's exactly what took place. They won that game against the Bears pretty convincingly. As far as the offense goes, Baker's looking solid so far. 
Odell is back in the lineup. You got great production from Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. And if that type of consistency remains for Cleveland, it's going to both well for them for the next couple of weeks. Uh, as it currently stands right now, they're currently tied with the Ravens and the Bengals at the top of the AFC North. I really do think it's going to come down between the Browns and the Ravens, just as it currently looks, because the Steelers don't look that great right now. But if the Browns get this type of production from both sides of the ball, uh, they're going to be a very tough out in the AFC North, and that's why they have them at number nine. So at number eight, I have the San Francisco 49ers. Tough loss against the Packers this past Sunday night. It looked like the 49ers had done enough to win that game on Sunday night against the Packers, but they had a defensive letdown with 35 seconds against Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers was able to march the Packers down, was it like 50, 55 yards in 35 seconds? And the Packers end up getting like a 50-yard game-winning field goal that got them that win. But the 49ers, I thought they looked competitive against the Packers. They had a good comeback against them late in the second half, and they almost stole that game. But like I said, it was a tough loss. This is still a very competitive team. This looks like a much improved team from last year. That was despite the fact that they had a lot of injuries last year that they just couldn't shake. But I will say this, you know, for the San Francisco 49ers, the road is going to be difficult for them. They got to play the Seahawks next. And then they got to play the Cardinals after that in week five. So you got two divisional matchups in back-to-back weeks. And, you know, the Seahawks are a little bit battered right now. They've lost two straight. So maybe the, the 49ers can steal one there. But that Cardinals matchup in week five, that's going to be a tough game for them. But this is a good team. In all aspects, I think the offense is fine. They're still getting good production from Jim, from Jimmy G. Um, Debo Samuel, George Kittle had a solid game. And defensively, you went up against Aaron Rodgers. You gave up 30 points, but it happens. So I have them at number eight, and I think that's a, pr- a pretty good spot based on uh, the game that they had against the Packers. So at number seven, I have the Baltimore Ravens. So the Ravens, they stay in the same spot as they were last week. Um, I'll be honest with you. They escaped Detroit with a win because the Lions are a subpar team, and it took a miracle kick from Justin Tucker to get them this win. I will say this. Lamar Jackson had a really good setup play for the Ravens to put them in position to get this game-winning field goal. I mean, they were deep in their own territory. Lamar just flings it 35, 40 yards down the field. Ends up in a catch. They were able to get into a little bit closer field goal range for Justin Tucker to knock down that game-winning NFL record, 66-yard field goal. And that's really kind of the main takeaway is just, man, it's Justin Tucker. Justin Tucker really put his team on his back to get them that win and did it in record fashion. And that's really the the main takeaway from the Ravens in week three. And the way that I see it is this team is going to go as far as Lamar takes them. The running back field is just, I, I mean, it's a literal infirmary at this point with how many injuries they've had um so this offense is going to be the one to really kind of carry this team forward the defense has been playing better i mean giving up 17 points against the lions is, is an improvement but this defense is going to struggle for the foreseeable future and they've got a difficult matchup in, in week four they got to play the broncos who are three and zero at the top of the afc west and then they put the colts right after that so 
the Ravens are definitely going to have their work cut out for them. But they are number seven in my power rankings. So at number six, I have the Buffalo Bills. I thought the Bills looked sensational against Washington in week three. Josh Allen looked like what he looked like last year against Washington. Um, They look like they're rounding into form going into October. They kind of had a slow start. They lost that game to the Pittsburgh Steelers in week one. They did win 35 to nothing in week two, but Josh Allen did kind of struggle in that game. It was mostly a defensive performance in week two that led to that type of beatdown. But this was really a breakout game for the Bills offense. You had Emmanuel Sanders chip in. Cole Beasley was on point. You had Stephon Diggs. He was sensational as well. So the offense seems to be rounding into form. Defensively, this is one of the better defenses in the league. And look, they're going to be at the top of the AFC East. Um, Not a lot of the AFC East teams are doing much right now. The Dolphins are taking a backseat right now because Tua's out for the foreseeable future. Uh, The Patriots are looking inconsistent after taking a pretty solid loss to the Saints in Week 3. And the Jets are 0-3. So this is the Bills' divisions to lose. So... They're number six in my power rankings. And uh, this is definitely a team to watch out for in the AFC for sure. So number five, I have the Green Bay Packers. Uh, The Packers definitely take a jump after getting a big road win against the San Francisco 49ers. This was the performance I was really kind of expecting from Green Bay. Um, Aaron Rodgers comes through in the clutch once again. I mean, I will say this, you know, being down 28 to 27 with 35 seconds to go is not a optimal situation. But it did not matter. Aaron Rodgers was able to move them down the field in relatively easy fashion with no timeouts to work with. And he sets up Mason Crosby with a 50-plus yard game-winning field goal. And Crosby knocks it through with the win. They move to 2-1. and one. And with the Packers, the Packers are still one of the best teams in the NFC. I know everybody got a little bit scared about the Packers after they got just beat down by the Saints in week one, but they've really turned it around. They had a great performance in week two against the Lions. They followed it up with a clutch performance from Aaron Rodgers and Mason Crosby in week three. Um, Just the main issue with this team moving forward is going to be the defense. They have been giving up points. Um, You know, they gave up the 30 plus against the Saints. They almost gave up 30 against the 49ers here, but this is still a very good team to contend with. And that's why I have them at number five. So number four, I have the Las Vegas Raiders. I almost said Oakland. The Raiders just continue to win. This is probably one of the biggest surprises that I've seen in the early parts of this season in the NFL. I did not expect this team to be 3-0, and but that's where they currently stand. And when I look at this team, um, Derek Carr is just having a phenomenal year. I, I don't know how else to say it. He is just lighting it up for this team. He's putting the ball in the places where it needs to be. And this team is putting up points. Granted, they did have a tough win against the Dolphins. The Dolphins kind of gave them a run for their money in this week three matchup. But the Raiders were able to get a solid effort at the end when it mattered the most. They were able to win this one in overtime. When it comes to the Raiders, the Raiders are going to be in a dogfight in the AFC West for the foreseeable future. You got the Broncos who are currently sitting at three and out. And I don't think anybody expected that you got the chargers who are sitting at two and one. And then you got the chiefs who are sitting at one and two. So 
the main focus for the Raiders right now is to keep the offensive tempo going. Derek Carr is having a phenomenal start. The defense is still getting some turnovers, which is a huge factor moving forward. They're going to still have to commit to getting turnovers so they get the ball back to Derek Carr in the offense. But, I mean, they're the top of the AFC West, and I don't think anybody was expecting that. I sure as hell didn't expect that. And really, you know, it's in their control at this point. So I had them at number four, and they have been playing with, like, one of the best teams in the AFC so far. So that's why I had them at number four. So at number three, I have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, the Bucs took a tough loss on the road. It's their first loss of the season against the Rams. Um, losing to the Rams is, you know, nothing to be ashamed of. The Rams are one of the best teams in the NFL. And when I look back at this game, the defense was atrocious. They let Matt Stafford essentially stop them. Uh, Matt Stafford had a huge game against that defense, threw for four touchdowns, had over 350 yards passing. And when I look at the Bucs, the main issue with this team moving forward is going to be the defense. And I think teams know how good this front seven is, and that is why they are making it a point of emphasis to attack this team's secondary. And despite the fact that the Bucs are 2-1, and one, they are giving up a lot of points in the process. They almost gave up 30 points against Dallas in Week 1. They gave up 25 against the Atlanta Falcons in Week 2. And now they give up 34 points against the Rams in Week 3. So if the team is going to move forward here, the, the defense is going to have to get it together because Brady in the offense is not really something that I'm really worried about here. Brady threw for 430 yards in Week 3. And the only thing about the offense that just didn't happen was they just weren't able to convert third down conversions and they weren't able to get points on the board. You know, that was the difference in that game with the Rams is that the Rams were able to convert on third down. They were able to get the ball into the end zone and the Bucs weren't able to convert on third down and they kind of put themselves in situations where they had to settle for field goals instead of getting touchdowns. But the offense is not really an issue here. It's primarily the defense. They do take the number three spot in the power rankings. For number two, I have the Arizona Cardinals. The Cardinals got a very solid win on the road against Jacksonville. Kind of started out a little bit shaky at first, but they were able to round into form nicely into the second half of that Jaguars game. Kyler Murray has been on just an absolute tear to start the season. He's been off to a very good start. That connection with DeAndre Hopkins and him has just been money to start the year. You know, currently they are sitting at 3-0. They are in a tie with the Los Angeles Rams at the top of the NFC West. And it is going to be a battle. I do kind of see the Cardinals really trying to make a point of emphasis that they are the best team in the NFC West. They're going to have to contend with the Rams. The Rams are going to definitely have something to say about that. But this Cardinals team is no joke. They are here. I didn't give them much of a chance at first just because of how competitive uh, this division is. But they are playing up to par, and they are giving the Rams a run for their money as far as the best team, not only in the NFC, and not only in the NFC West, but in the entire NFL. So watch out for the Cardinals. The Cardinals are a team that have great aspirations as far as I'm concerned, and that's why I have them at number two. And then at number one, I have the Los Angeles Rams. I mean, the Rams 
put a show against the Super Bowl champion Tampa, Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, this past weekend. Matt Stafford looks sensational. I mean, not only does he look sensational, you got Cooper Cup looking like one of the best receivers in the league. That connection that Stafford and Cooper Cup already have seems to be a midseason form. And I expect that tandem to really kind of grow throughout the season as well. Defensively, they were able to force Tampa into some situations where they had to convert some third downs and they were unable to. So you have to give a lot of credit for the Rams defense for being able to get the Buccaneers defense, excuse me, the Buccaneers offense off the field. And the sky's the limit with the Rams this year. I do believe that they are in the driver's seat of their own destiny. And as long as the offense is humming and the defense is opportunistic, this team legitimately has Super Bowl contention, in my opinion. So the Rams are number one. They overtake the Buccaneers from the number one spot from last week. And that will round out this week's power rankings from week three. So good list here. Um, got some really good teams here. And uh, it'll be interesting to see where these teams uh, move up and down after week four is all said and done. All right, so up next, we're going to talk about Josh Gordon signing with the Chiefs. So after being reinstated by the NFL this past weekend, uh, Josh Gordon did sign with the Chiefs. And I got to take a minute to talk about Josh here. And I got to be honest with this. You know, I want to see Josh Gordon succeed with the Chiefs. But it kind of goes without saying that his entire football career has been up and down. At the highest point, he was one of the most electrifying receivers that the NFL had to offer in the early 2010s when he was playing for the Cleveland Browns. But at his lowest point, he was getting suspended by the NFL for breaking their substance abuse policy. Throughout his career, Josh has been suspended five times by the NFL. And he's made numerous comebacks in the process, most recently with the Patriots and the Seahawks. And the craziest stat that I have for this segment is not the fact that he's had back-to-back 200-yard games back in 2013. It's the fact that he's only 30 years old. Those 2013 highlights that he had with the Browns back in the day seemed like a lifetime ago. Josh is capable of achieving great success in his life, but at the same time, he's capable of his own destruction. And that's been Josh Gordon's story throughout his entire career. A man that had limitless potential in the NFL, but unfortunately he couldn't fight off his own demons. So now, with Kansas City signing him, he's been given another chance to prove his worth in the NFL. But I have to say this. My expectations with his time with the Chiefs is going to be tempered. You know, Josh has not made it through an entire NFL season since 2013. And I hope that he can make it through the rest of the season. I want nothing more than that for him. But his biggest challenge is not going to take place on the field. It's going to be when he goes home and has to fight those demons every day. And take it from me, I love football. It brings a lot of joy to me. But that type of battle, the addiction battle that Josh Gordon has been going through for not only years, but probably a decade plus at this point, it dwarfs anything that a football field has to offer. And it'll be interesting to see how it plays out for the rest of the year for Josh. But if you look at recent history, he's been able to provide some time for the teams that he's been signed to, but it hasn't been for the long term. So, I mean, 
looking at the Chiefs offense here, they added another weapon on top of what they have with Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, McCole Hardman, Demarcus Robinson. Now you add Josh Gordon into the mix. It'll be interesting to see how they integrate him into the offense. And I just hope it works out for him. But it's like I said, you got to temper the expectations when it comes to Josh because hasn't played a full season since 2013. And hopefully I'm wrong here, but I don't even know if he's going to make it through the rest of the season based on his recent history. But good luck to Josh. Hopefully it works out for him and just wish nothing but the best for him. And then to round out the episode, we're going to talk about Michael Porter Jr. signing his contract extension with the Denver Nuggets. So like I said at the top of the episode, he signed a five-year, $207 million contract extension with Denver. And when I looked at the news when it first broke, I'll be honest with you. I did not think that Michael Porter Jr. was worth this contract. Michael Porter Jr. is probably the third best option on this team. When it goes to Nikola Jokic, he's probably the number one option. Jamal Murray's number two. And then I, I'll say Michael Porter Jr. is the third. You can kind of make a case that it could be Aaron Gordon, who they just re-signed to a four-year extension just a couple weeks ago. So this is the four-man team that they're running here. It's going to be Jokic, Murray, Porter Jr., and Aaron Gordon. And when you look at the landscape of the Western Conference, when you look at this roster, they can't compete with top-tier teams in the Western Conference. You know, you're going up against the Los Angeles Lakers who are looking to kind of retool after getting bounced out of the first round of the playoffs last year. You can look at Golden State. Golden State is getting Klay Thompson back after dealing with just numerous injuries the last couple seasons. And after Steph just lit it up for the Warriors, despite the fact that they didn't make the playoffs last year. Then you look at Phoenix. Phoenix is coming off of a phenomenal season where... They made it all the way to the finals, but they lost to the Bucs in six. They're coming back as a full unit once again, so they should definitely be a team to keep on the horizon here. But Denver is in that situation where they're kind of like in the middle. Like there are like there are probably maybe like three or four teams that are probably ahead of them if you want to kind of consider the Clippers ahead of them. But I don't really consider the Clippers as like a top four team right now because I just don't know what's going to happen with Kawhi's knee injury and how he's going to respond to that. But Denver's made their point that this is their core that they're going to go with for the foreseeable future. And despite the fact that I don't think that Michael Porter Jr. is worth this contract, it's who they're rolling with. Jamal Murray is going to be recovering from his ACL tear that he had at the end of the season last year. So a lot of responsibility is going to be on Michael Porter Jr.'s shoulders. And he's got to be able to live up to the expectations that the front office for Denver expects for him after giving him this massive contract. So, you know, Michael Porter Jr. is going to have to kind of fit into that number two spot until Jamal Murray gets back. And it's going to be very interesting to see. He's definitely improved in the two seasons that he's been on the court. I mean, he went from averaging nine points a game in his first season all the way to almost 20 points a game in his second season that he's put on the court. So he's definitely made tremendous strides from where he started. But that's a huge contract to live up to. I mean, that is almost like Luka Doncic money. And I, I'm glad that he got it. 
but I think that maybe Denver kind of made a mistake with giving him this type of money. I think they could have maybe done a little bit better. They could have maybe get him. They could have gave him maybe like 130, maybe like 120 million. And then they could have probably given some money to Monte Morris as well. Monte Morris is a really solid role player for them. He has the ability to pop off every now and then for them. But I mean, great for Michael Porter Jr. I don't know who his agent is, but you got to give his agent a lot of credit for making this miracle happen. He got Michael Porter Jr. a bag here and what comes with that bag is a, a big expectation. There's going to be a lot riding on Michael Porter Jr.'s shoulders for the foreseeable future, but yeah, Denver's going all in with this core. And that's really kind of my main takeaway um, with this extension that they gave Michael Porter Jr. So good for Michael Porter Jr. It's a huge payday. And he definitely deserves it. I don't know if it was this much, but he definitely deserves a payday and he definitely got it. And with that said, you guys, that'll pretty much wrap it up from here. I just want to take the time to thank you guys for tuning in to the episode, whether it was watching it on YouTube or listening to it on our audio platforms. Uh, we definitely appreciate it. If you guys uh, want to support the channel in any way, shape, or form, hit that subscribe button. If you're watching it on YouTube, any sort of support that we can get for the channel, Kevin and I definitely appreciate it. Um, Kevin and I will be doing another episode at the end of the week. We'll mostly be going over the week four preview in the NFL, and we'll kind of be wrapping up the MLB season as well. So definitely stay tuned for that. Like I said, just thank you guys for tuning in to the episode, and we will see you guys later. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of Her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed.